Good morning, everyone. This is Jeffy Kennedy, and I'm here with my first cup of coffee, which is far more satisfying, <laughs> made entirely with half and half. I stopped on my way home yesterday and got more. Uh, today is Friday, November 15th, uh, and uh, uh, I got a little over 700 words already this morning, so... Boy, does that feel better. I feel like I've just been unstuck. Well, I have been stuck on this scene for a week. Part of it was being sick, and part of it is being stuck. Um, you know, and I've talked about this so many times that I don't really believe in writer's block. And I still don't believe in writer's block. I don't think that it's a real thing. I think that there are things that get in the way of the story. And that occasionally we get stuck. And that there are things we can do if we're stuck. Um, I think that at its most fundamental level, our subconscious, from whence all creativity springs, is not something that we can schedule. It is not something that's connected to concrete timelines by its very nature and i've mentioned before but i find that um this one book oh, and as many times as i've mentioned it you think i could reel off the author's name but i will put it in the show notes but it's a book called my stroke of insight and will i be able to find it quickly on the shelf yeah i'm not gonna try Oh, whoa, there it is, by Jilt, Jill Bolt-Taylor, a PhD. Thank you, universe, for making it catch my eye at the last moment there. So, yeah, Jill Bolt-Taylor, PhD, called My Stroke of Insight, A Brain Scientist's Personal Journey. And I think my mom turned me on to this book because, as you may or may not know, I am a brain scientist from way back. That's what I got my graduate degree in was getting a PhD in, and I still love neurological stuff, and it crops up in my work from time to time, which amuses me when I see it happen. But anyway, um, when she was a fairly young woman, Jill Bolt-Taylor, I can't recall if she was already a professor, or she, I think she was a professor, but at any rate, she had a stroke in her left brain left hemisphere of her brain and it was she had enough knowledge to recognize what was happening to her and the book is just beautifully and deftly written where she talks about she was alone when it happened and even though she could recognize what was happening to her because the stroke was occurring in her left brain which was all about you know, decision-making and logical decisions, or, you know, decisions, decisions, right? Um, the logic, the timeline. She knew she needed to make a phone call. She knew she needed to operate the phone to make that happen. But because only her right brain was functioning, she didn't have a definite timeline for dealing with this. And it, it really is a fantastic illustration of the difference between our left brain and left right brain 
ways of grappling with the world, regardless if you believe in the conscious and subconscious or not. Um, I tend to think of subconscious as being right brain and conscious as being left brain, which isn't strictly accurate, but it's it's a reasonable way to it's a reasonable metaphor. Let's put it that way for how we think, um, because I really do believe that we exist on more levels than simply the physical. My the graduate advisor did not believe this. He believed that we were simply biological machines. And it was interesting to sort of thrash out theories with him. But anyway, um, it's a wonderful book. Uh, you know, and she goes into her recovery too, because she does recover. So, you know, when people say that the whole left brain, right brain thing has been debunked, I always raise an eyebrow because that's not true. There is differentiation of function between the left and right brains. Um, it's not set in stone. That's true. And it depends largely on culture. Um, if you grew up in an Asian culture, your left brain, right brain differentiation will be very different. But she's a, a Westerner, a U.S. person. And so it's a good way of of getting a window into how the brain operates. I really do recommend the book, and it's a fairly fast read. And and in the book, with her recovery, she does recover function. And that's the other thing, is that the brain is far more plastic than people realize for a very long, for a very long time. Um, I should not look at this book as I'm talking. There we go. We'll put it aside. Um, she the brain is able to recover function and the right brain was able to take over function from the left brain, the parts that were irretrievably damaged. So I think that's what people mean when they say that the whole left brain, right brain thing has been debunked. But if you have a healthy brain and you grew up in a Western culture and I don't really know if this varies by subculture. For instance, if you you know grew up black in America, if you've got a slightly different um, differentiation of function, it could be. I don't. I haven't kept up with studies on that. It would be interesting to know. But in general, if you have a Western-oriented brain, you grew up speaking a Romance language. Uh, so forth, that's what the differentiation between your hemispheres is going to be. And how did I get down this path about creativity? Oh, one of the things that she discovers is that with only her right brain functioning, she's not good, she was not good at, even after she had started to recover, um, time just didn't matter to her. Uh, schedules didn't matter to her. She lived in this very kind of free-floating place. And I found that very illustrative. And I am totally circling around to my point now, which is that creativity cannot be harnessed to a schedule. We can do our best. What we can do is we can schedule our work. We can schedule the laying down of words, of showing up to the blank page or the blank screen and be there to put down the story, but 
what, how and when and in what fashion it flows is not something that we can demand or schedule. So I have been stuck on this scene for a week and I know part of it is, is because I'm thinking about it so much. And I, I know I do this on every book too. Because I keep thinking about things that are happening and that, you know, it's like, oh, well, wouldn't this be better if, you know, I start thinking about story tropes and uh, I'm trying to think. This is probably because I was just pretty deep in my right brain and so now I'm not being very articulate. At least I was getting there again. Uh, I keep thinking about like, craft and structure suggestions and so like this scene that I'm writing now I keep thinking oh maybe this should have come later or maybe you know I should have had this other thing happen or maybe the conflict would be stronger if I'd laid in that the three of them could never be separated and now they'll be separated and I'll make a note to myself saying well you know seed in that they could never be separated so that when they are separated, it's stronger. And then I remind myself, I can do that in revision. It's, it's just way too much thinking. And one of the things about trying to improve craft and learning things like, like save the cat and that sort of thing, which can be really useful and helpful on another level, they can really get in the way of, um, of the creativity, of just letting the story form itself. Especially if one's brain is a little murky. <laughs> it's funny because I just haven't been all that sick, but I just have been um, tired, tired, and not able to work for very long. Yesterday I tried to work on the book, and I got um, I worked on it for 15 minutes and got slammed with the headache, and... Uh, got tired and then I went and worked on other things you know shut down the book and worked on a few businessy things and I was able to do that so I don't know I don't know what it means but I it's coming today so I'm really going to keep pushing and may have to push back the release date we'll see but I definitely need to have some people read this one and give me an objective view of it. We'll see. Maybe I won't feel that way when I finish. So it goes. So I suppose that's not good concrete advice for pantsing your way through NaNoWriMo, except that, I don't know, this is just how it goes. That's, that's what, you know, all you can do is show up. And I can say that every day this week I have shown up and, put my hands on the keyboard and poked at the book. And and that's how it feels to me. It's like I'm poking at it. And I see if it is malleable. Is <laughs> maybe a way to think of it, you know. I and and I kind of read through and I look at it and then I go away and I daydream about it. <clears throat> so yeah. I did stop by uh, the new Beastly Books yesterday. I had um, 
I did write her coffee, of course, with Trent Zelazny and Emily Ma, Emily Ma Tippetts, which was always delightful. Emily has a uh, the third book in her Paranormal Romance, I think it is, trilogy coming out next week. And I'm going to, next Thursday, we'll have an interview with her and get her input on pantsing and so forth. And so while I was there, it was Trent was talking about, because he, you know, he works for um, George R. R. Martin's Cocteau Theater too, and they've opened the bookstore next door, which is called Beastly Books. And I'll add a photo of it. I put some photos on Instagram too. <clears throat> I should put them on Facebook as well. But at any rate, uh, it's a nice bookstore. It's... When you walk in, the first room is all George R. R. Martin, <laughs> pretty pretty much floor to ceiling. A beautiful display. It's all of the all of his books and various collectibles. Things are already signed. There's a lot of nice chairs to sit in. There's um, a robot, which I think Corrine said was the Iron Giant, and I'm not sure what that means. I mean, I don't think it's, um, you know, not not from Game of Thrones, right? Or is it? It doesn't look like the armor that the mountain wore to me. So maybe it's something else, but maybe I don't know. Uh, so that's in there, and that's pretty cool. And then there's another room with lots of signed books from authors who have done events next door at the Cocteau Cinema. And I think they'll be getting more books as well. So right now it's sort of like been all of the things that they had in stock and then now they'll be filling up the shelves. But at any rate, uh, Melinda Snodgrass has written, is releasing a new Wild Cards book and they needed somebody to interview her. Trent got a text from his sister and... Sorry, I started thinking about something else. Don't think about other things, Jeffy. My mind is kind of drifty. I may be getting deep into book brain, which is good for the book, less good for the podcast. <laughs> so, um, yeah, Trent's sister texted him and said, be sure to hit up your writer friends. We need someone to interview Melinda Snodgrass. And I said, oh, well, I'll do that. So that'll be fun. I'll get to interview her on December 3rd. That's a Tuesday evening here in Santa Fe. So if you're in the region come for that. It should be an interesting interview. And so then I I needed a copy of the book so I could study. So I stopped by Beastly Books on my way from Writer Coffee and picked up that copy of that book. I should probably tell you all what book it is that would be responsible of here. I've got it sitting here. It is Wild Cards. I think that's 20. X is 20, right? Or is it 10? Double Solitaire. Anyway, it's very nice tour trade paperback. So, looks like an interesting book. So, that'll be fun. I made a note to talk about that. I also have on my note, it says schedule. And I'm really not at all sure what that means. <laughs> Something I thought I'd talk about and... I'm sure it'll come to me. That's that's what I always, that's part of the um, the faith, right? The faith and the hope is that even if you forget things, 
you have faith that they will come back around. And it's like having faith in the story, you know, even though my editorial brain keeps thinking things like, oh, well, maybe the structure would benefit if it worked more this way. Uh, I just have to trust in the story to let it be what it wants to be. And so I'm going to get back to work. I hope you all are having a great time, a good November. It's been just beautiful weather here. Gorgeous day yesterday. And First Cup of Coffee is, of course, part of the Frolic Podcast Network. And you can find more podcasts you will love at frolic.media slash podcasts. And I am going to get to work and I will talk to you all tomorrow. Take care. Bye-bye.